film files? Is it really you? Oh my god, it's been so long. We're in Chicago now, is where I live. And um, we're going to call today's episode a beta episode. Um, We're calling it a beta episode because it's kind of a dry run. It's kind of a tester episode because our old recording studio was wall-to-wall carpet. And now we're wall-to-wall Chicago hardwood. So maybe it'll sound good and maybe you'll never hear this. I got a 17-pound cat on my lap, and this is Movie Show Theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Good morning, Vietnam! I drink your milkshake. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. I'm sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's goddamn right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. So, as I mentioned, my fiance and I are living in Chicago now, and I have a lot of interesting uh ideas for future episodes i'm building a list of guests to have on and chicago citizens and peoria citizens and i got some i got some interesting ideas and and we're gonna explore those and i think that this is the last episode that's just gonna be little old me but uh, i watched Children of Men with Anna, who had never seen this film. And if you've never seen this movie, it's it can be a tough watch. It uh, came out in 2006. It was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who's one of my favorite modern directors. He's He did um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. He did Itumama Tambien in 2001. He did Gravity in 2013. So I'm going to try to stay away from reviewing this movie because if you've seen this movie, you you know what I'm talking about when I say it's it's a hard watch. The time period we're talking is 2027, and I've seen this movie about probably four times. Every time I watch it, it's more relevant than the time before, and not just because... Every time I watch it, I'm closer to the time that it takes place. But it's a very bleak future. It's it, the the world has been plagued by natural disasters and terrorism, and immigration has been banned and outlawed in almost every country. And really, the only I, I say civilized, but it's not really civilized. The only civilized country left is England, and immigrants are caged up. And um, the world is sterile. Nobody has seen a baby in 18 years. And that's basically all I'm going to tell you. So this movie, I, I call it a, I would put it in the category of true film, meaning I, I personally don't think that it's subjective to say that this movie is important. And this movie is, it's just, it's fantastic. It's it's full of symbolism. It's full of social statements. It's full of messages and satire. And it requires a, a, a true film scholar to 
pick this movie apart and, and analyze it and look at the symbolism. And, but I do in this little mini episode because what I'm more interested in is the cinematography and the technical feats of the production of this movie. So the director of photography was Emmanuel Lubezki, who's worked on every single one of Alfonso Cuaron's feature films. So this is a great example of the relationship that builds from director and cinematographer. I mean, of all of the well-known film jobs there are when credits roll, I think that director and cinematographer, also the director of photography, it's the same job. I think that that relationship is arguably the most important because the cinematographer is kind of the responsible party of putting the director's vision on screen. I mean, everybody plays a role, you know, the set design, the lighting design, the costumes, the actors, obviously, everybody contributes to make this vision a reality. But the cinematographer, I think, has probably the most crucial role in that. And in Children of Men, this is most obvious that their chemistry is just so incredibly on par. The movie opens up before we even see anything. It opens up with sounds and broadcasts and news reportings. And by the time that we see the first image, we kind of already know the story of the movie. And Alfonso Cuaron is such an amazing director because he doesn't feel the need to explain everything. Like, uh, you know, one of the main backstories is that the world is sterile and women can't get pregnant anymore. And this is kind of a spoiler alert, but he never tells you why. And I think that's great because you don't really need to. And he's a big believer in the fact that if you spell everything out and you explain everything, first of all, it's a very lazy way of storytelling. And he thinks that it's kind of insulting to the audience which I appreciate as the audience, you know, to say that you don't need to explain things. That's it's kind of a a vague or broad thing to say when the cinematography and the storytelling is done to this level of expertise. Yes, I would definitely agree that explaining everything is not necessary. So we meet baby Diego, who's actually 18, but we still call him baby Diego. He was stabbed to death because he didn't sign an autograph. This is the the youngest person in the world. So that's just kind of interesting because you imagine this person is obviously famous because people are asking for autographs from him. And he spits on a fan and uh, he's stabbed to death. And then that fan that got spit on is beaten to death. So... There's a drug throughout the movie that you see advertised on, on TVs and mega screens that's called Quietus. And they don't really tell you a whole lot. I mean, they, they give you a clue to its function in the name Quietus. It's, um, it's kind of a way, way old medical name for the moment of death. So I'm assuming it's essentially a suicide drug. So the movie is dark. The movie is intense for a purpose. And I think if they lightened it up, I think if they took out some of the intensity, I think that it would definitely lose its purpose. I had Anna watch it because she had never seen it, and it had been like five years since I had seen it. But something I really appreciate about this movie is that no animals are killed. As crazy and violent and brutal as this movie is, there's no animals killed. In fact, there's an animal in almost every single scene in the movie 
and you'll see that Clive Owen is like the animal whisperer. There is Jasper's cat that seems totally drawn to Clive Owen's character. That cat's name is Ginger. Uh, there's the dogs at Tomas and Emily's farm, um, and they even say that dogs don't like anybody, and the dogs love Owen. Theo is Owen's name. I'll call him, I'll call him Theo. And uh, the kittens in the farmhouse that actually crawl up Theo's leg. Kind of fascinating. So unfortunately, this movie is not an original screenplay. There's a lesser known novel called Children of Men by an author named P.D. James. But actually, Alfonso didn't read the book. At least he didn't read the book before he started his production. I know that a lot of people involved did, but he did not. And I think that that's fascinating because, you know, very rarely does a film come out that is not based on some previous work. I mean, it's it's amazing if you actually do research and look at movies that you assumed were original screenplays and nope, nope, they're not. So Alfonso didn't read this, uh, didn't read the book because, of course, almost every single time, every instance that I can think of, the book is always better because with a book, you have, you know, three, four, five hundred pages to tell a story. And with a movie, traditionally, you have under 120 minutes. Most movies are 120 minutes. This one is not. This one is well over two hours. So they say that roughly one page of script translates to one minute of screen time. So you could say that a 120-page script is a two-hour movie. So that's less than half of what your typical novel has to work with. So the books are usually better because they're, they have more time to tell a story and everything that you imagine, the characters that you see, the places that you go, the people that you meet are created however you would like to see them because you have no visual cue. So when you're watching a movie, you might be disappointed by the way somebody looks or somebody's demeanor or, you know, any unspoken aspect of this person. So the book books just have a have a great advantage. Obviously, Alfonso knew that, so he didn't read the book, which I think is very, very cool. So um, I just wanted to talk about a couple little I, I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but there's very, very subtle touches and details throughout this entire movie that they call it meta realism and and a lot of it is subconscious this one i didn't i didn't notice anna was the one that saw this one but in one scene theo uh, clive owen's character is wearing a hoodie that says london 2012 and it's an olympic shirt and it's not just an olympic shirt but it's a ratty shirt like he would find it at goodwill so that makes the setting seem real and seem genuine but then you think about this movie was made in 2005 and london was just putting in their bid for the olympics so the fact that they went through the effort with the costume design that they made a london 2012 hoodie and made it look old that's amazing um the opening terrorist attack uh, is on Fleet Street, and they actually filmed it in London, uh, and it was filmed only two weeks after the actual bombing happened in London by Al-Qaeda terrorists. So the bombing happens, Theo arrives at work, uh, as in the second scene, and you see these words over the top of the doors that say Ministry of Energy. 
This is a reference to George Orwell's novel, 1984, which there's a lot of similarities between Children of Men and 1984. But anyway, there is a recurring plot line in 1984 that the government had all these terrifying ministries for various specified functions. So that's a nice little nod to that. And um, so there's a couple really incredible things in this movie that I've never seen. One of them, uh, this is going to be a major spoiler. If somebody for some reason is listening to this that hasn't seen the movie, I don't, I don't really know why you would. So Key, who kind of is one of the more important characters in the film, she's pregnant. Oh, oh boy, who saw that coming? So when she has this baby, even if you are a man who has never seen a child born, has never wondered how a child was born, didn't know any details as far as how big a baby should be or how a baby should look or shape or whatever, this movie is going to freak you out. This baby being born will freak you out because it's one of those things that I kind of wonder, you know, like they'll show a baby being born and then the doctor hands the baby to the mom and the baby's like 18 months old and already wearing an outfit or something like that. Um, This baby that they have for this scene is incredible. They all but show this baby actually coming out of this actress's vagina. And the way that they did that was they put the actress, Claire Hope Ashety, um, into a set piece that had a fake lower body. And then a prop baby was pushed out of it for Clive Owen to hold. The prop baby was then uh, digitally erased and replaced with a fully moving CGI baby. Um, They also added breath vapor that were added after the fact. Um, But it's incredible. The baby looks uh, brand new. The uh, cord is even still attached. So that's that's crazy. That's a they could have done that way cheaper and way easier. But the fact that they went through that much effort. Good Lord. Um, in the novel by P.T. James, the storyline was a little bit different. It revolved around men producing no sperm. So this is one of those instances where we need a film scholar sitting next to me because this change, uh, obviously was made for a reason. Uh, is this a statement on the dehumanization of women? Is this a statement on feminism or the lack of feminism? So we're just going to stay away from that. Uh, That's above my pay grade. Um, I'm kind of looking at the more physical feats in this movie. There's a long shot. All right, so this is nuts. There's a shot about halfway through, and it's a four-minute long shot, and it all takes place in one car. And if you've seen this film, then you probably know the shot that I'm talking about. They're in the Fiat. When before Julianne Moore is killed. Ah, another spoiler alert. Clive Owen and Julianne Moore and two other people, they're in the car and it's very light. It's very sweet. They do this trick with a ping pong ball back and forth. And then all of a sudden a flaming car rolls down the hill, blocks their way. It's an ambush. Anyway, I won't explain this whole scene to you, except that it looks incredible. It is like one of the most intense harrowing scenes I think that I've ever seen in a film. And it appears through the naked eye as though this is all done in 
one take, which adds to the incredible nature. But actually, the shot was done in six takes over four locations. So it required a lot of transition work from uh, Double Negative, the visual effects house. And the camera moves inside the car. The car had to be way altered. Um, They used this rig developed by Doggy Cam Systems, and the rig was controlled by a stunt driver. So the vehicle was modified to enable seats to tilt and lower actors out of the way to let the camera through. And the windshield was designed to tilt out of the way to allow camera movements in and out through the front uh, windshield. So, oh my gosh, it's nuts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this scene on, on the uh, movie show theater Facebook. If you've never seen it, um, it's, it's, it's an incredible shot, even if you've never seen this movie. But it is not safe for work, and it is a R-rated scene, so just be aware. But I'm so in love with the shot, I'm putting it on anyway, and uh, yeah, check it out. So that shot is that shot is incredible. And um, Theo is in almost every single scene. Clive Owen is in every single scene in this movie. And he contributed a lot to the writing as well, which I think is awesome it was kind of his um his baby this is another kind of funny touch that they did um for authenticity at the beginning of the film uh theo is leaving the coffee shop there's a tall pointed building that you can see in the background the building is called the shard and the construction on this building began four years after this movie was filmed it was digitally added to the movie which took place in 2027, 16 years after the shard was due to be completed. So I I don't know. It's amazing because it's it's one of those movies that's so it's so clearly important and it's so clearly well done to anybody I think who has any appreciation to film. I mean, even the slightest appreciation to film. And even now, with the state of a lot of Eastern European countries and looking at this war-torn dystopian world that's presented to us, and certain scenes, I imagine, are what poor Aleppo is going through. And I'm not, I'm not going to get on a politically valued soapbox here, but it's just, it's, it's an incredible movie. And the ending, I, I love the ending. There's a scene in the end where Clive Owen rescues Key and her baby. And Key and her baby are just surrounded by the most horrific, bullet-riddled building that you can imagine. And once people realize that Key is holding the first baby that the world has seen in 18 years, everybody kind of makes way and parts the sea of terribleness so that Theo and Key can leave and the world kind of pauses for a minute and just gives this baby the reverence and respect that you would imagine that it should get or that it would get. And it's just, it's so powerful. Um, and, and hope and what hope can do. And seconds after, they are off the battleground. Everybody goes back to their firing and shooting, and uh, it, only for a moment do do they realize that 
we might have some hope. This might be, you know, cause everybody, everybody is, is suffering from the same thing, whatever, whatever side of the battle or whatever you're on, whatever side of the fence you're on. It's clear that there are huge problems. And, you know, I, I had mentioned at the beginning of this too, it's not just war that has separated man, uh, natural disasters that have taken out countries, you know, it's a combination of natural and unnatural actions and effects that have put our world into the state that it's in. But happy new year. (laughs) I picked a, I picked a pleasant film, didn't I? But this, uh, children of men takes place in 20 years. So hopefully we're not there. Um, I worry that we won't be too far off because Unfortunately, we're already not too far off. And the CGI in this movie is is it's very well done, but it's also done very subtly and it's done very sporadically. And the visual effects team that worked on this movie is obviously incredibly talented and incredibly capable. But, you know, sometimes you see these futuristic movies that are just in your face with neon and giant screens and devices that we don't have yet and future technologies and it's just it just creams it in your face and it's not necessary and more than that i think it's distracting so this movie you know you you uh there's enough devices in this movie that you never forget that it takes place in the future i mean there's a lot of big screens that are scattered around london and these touches that i'm mentioning are like the sweatshirt and the shard um they're they're small and in, and you probably won't even notice them and if you do you'll appreciate it all the more but this movie is just so good there's a a scene i guess when they were filming one of their really long takes uh, uh towards the end there's a scene where a bomb goes off and somebody is killed and there's some blood spatter on the screen and i guess it took 2 weeks to set this shot up and the blood getting spattered on the camera lens was a total accident. And Alfonso yells, cut! But you couldn't hear him yell, cut, because of all of the other noise going on in the shot. And the Emmanuel Lubezki, the cinematographer, convinced him to leave it on, to leave that taken, because the movie is kind of shot like, uh, shot like a documentary. There's it's a lot of handheld and there's a lot of kind of shaky camera action. I thought that everybody in this film did a fantastic job. Michael Caine, I guess, based his performance on John Lennon. Um, if you've seen it, you can appreciate why uh, his character is so good. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. So give us a movie suggestion if you want. You can send a message through Facebook. You can check out the rest of our episodes on the SoundCloud, obviously. That's probably how you're listening to this now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. This is Movie Show Theater.